Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode aired on my YouTube channel on the 5th of April 2021, and it's with travel writer and broadcast journalist Simon Parker. Simon spoke to me about how he initially fell in love with travelling and how that led to his writing and broadcast journalism career. We talked about journalism as it is today and where he sees it in the near future. We also discussed his award-winning show Earth Cycle and his plans for future shows. All that and much more on this fascinating talk. Thank you so much for coming on, Simon. I really appreciate your time. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, lockdown in the UK is a change of pace to what I'm used to, but uh, hopefully it's a good thing. Um, hopefully we'll be out of this soon. I'll just explain a little bit about yourself. I'm a travel writer, a broadcaster, and a foreign correspondent. And I work for big newspapers around the world and for the BBC. And I make TV and radio programs, which involve me getting to go to lots of interesting parts of the planet. And I would say it's my dream job. There's, there's nothing else I really feel like I should be doing with my time, if I'm honest. There's so much to cover. So I always start off with the question on the initial love for travel. Now for yourself, I'll ask you two questions. So because you've got an adventure side to you, where did the initial love for travel start for you? And where where did the initial love for adventure come for you as well? I grew up in North Oxfordshire in the south of England. And um, I grew up in a small village. There was nothing in the village. There was not a shop. There was not a pub. There was nothing. Um, And I think I had quite a boring teenage life. And by the time I got to about 17, 18, I was just absolutely itching to get away and to to see the planet because I've never really done much travel up to that point. My mum and dad could never really afford to take us away on big expeditions or big holidays or anything like that. We went to Spain a couple of times when I was growing up, but that was all the travel I'd ever really done. So when I was reached the age of 18, I was just absolutely chomping it the bit to get out there and to see the world. So I saved up all the money I had and I bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand. And I flew all the way to New Zealand and then I set off to spend 18 months, it turned out, hitchhiking from the very northern point of New Zealand all the way to the very south. And then I hitchhiked from one side of Australia all the way to the other. And this became the real, I guess, the nucleus of my my life in travel and adventure travel, really. And I just became absolutely addicted with that sort of lifestyle. When I came back from, from that travel, I, I knew that I had to make that my everyday existence, I guess. So I went to university and just really worked really, really hard and ended up getting a first class degree in in English and film studies. And then it just went from there, really. I had this love of travel with a desire to be a creative or a filmmaker or a journalist of some degree. And then over time, I've just managed to combine those two together. So when you moved across to New Zealand, whilst you were out there, were there experiences that you had that wanted you to be the person that you are today? I mean, you, there's some stuff that you've done with like the bikes where you've gone from China to, to London. I, I, I'm quite curious to find out where, where that adventure uh, in you came from. Well, I don't really like following the crowd i don't really like doing things in big organized groups my idea of being on a a beach with tens of thousands of other people is not my idea of fun i'd much rather be up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere either just by myself or with a very small group of people my idea of um, going cycling in a big peloton or hiking in a big group i just really don't like the idea of that so that travel around new zealand and australia really started to prove to me that I am quite a solitary person. I, I do quite like doing my own thing. So I, I was realizing that that was the sort of travel I was I was into. 
But what I was also realizing was that I didn't want to just go on to become, I guess, a kind of a bit of a, a lost backpacker who would spend the rest of his life just working in bars or working on the beach or whatever. I, I, I realized that I, what I wanted to do was combine travel with something, something I could be really proud of and really put my name behind. And that's no disrespect to people who have gone out and chosen that lifestyle. But for me, I wanted to really have something proper to show for it in terms of my career. So that's why I thought about journalism, foreign correspondency, travel writing was a way that I could do something quite academic and really express myself through through words and through pictures and all and all that stuff um and really kind of make a career out of it i don't like the idea of just working really really hard all year just to go on a one-week holiday i want to try and make that my everyday reality and although travel writing and what I do now is is tough because I spend a lot of time overseas, I spend a lot of time waiting around in airports, in bus stations or whatever, there is a, a real daily grind to that sort of lifestyle. If the alternative was sitting behind a desk all day and going away once or twice a year, then I much prefer what I do now. Yeah, it's interesting. You made one point about uh, the the backpacker's lifestyle. No, just again, no disrespect, and I, I like to class myself as a backpacker. But you know, I, I couldn't do it myself. Where you're living off pennies, really, and then you got to find a meal somewhere. Uh, you know, I like to have a little bit of stability. So, yeah, that that is a lifestyle. A lot of people do it, and you know, people won't change it. But for myself, and it sounds like for yourself as well there had to be something there for you to fall back on. Cause at the end of the day, you, you do have to think about long-term cause how long can you do it for? Can you do it for two years, three years, four years? Mm. There's got to be a time where you think to yourself, you know, I can't rely on anyone else. When I left university, I spent the first couple of years of my career working in the frantic paced newsrooms of central London. So I, that's where I sort of learned to really become a journalist. That's where I cut my teeth in terms of, developing all of those key skills that I now take out and tell stories around the world. But ultimately, those skills will always be transferable. I'll, I'll always be able to use them. So if in 10, 15, 20 years time, if, if I want to settle down a bit more, the travel's getting a bit tiring, I can still do what I'm doing now in lockdown, for example, uh, writing books, writing columns, doing journalism just from my desk. But I think it's it's really useful for young journalists, especially, to get out there and get a real solid foundation in ha hands-on journalism, really feeling feeling the world and its heartbeat close up. I did my time in the newsroom, and now I'm really glad that I'm out and about sticking microphones in people's faces and you know telling their stories and that's the sort of person and the sort of life I want to live really I don't want to just be living vicariously through other people's experiences I'd rather be the conduit between the world and the other person I want people to be living through my experiences I don't really like it the other way around if I'm totally honest journalism has obviously you just started started your career it's changed over the years. Now, last week was, I'm going to give you an example. Last week was the, was the, exam, um, was the anniversary of Kobe Bryant, who died uh, in 2020. Now, that news, I remember, broke uh, on all the social media platforms well before any other news outlet. With the way journalism is going, where we want it so quickly, it's so fast-paced, because uh, the reason why I'm asking you this question, because you on your website, you talked about slow journalism. Mm. And I, I also watched a, a TED talk um, by a guy called Rob Orchard, and he talked about slow journalism, how the way we receive our news today has completely changed. So as I said to you, in that one hour, I remember it breaking on my social media platforms and I was like, oh my God, he's died. But none of the news outlets have broke this news. So as a journalist now, who 10, 20 years ago were the first to break the news, is it disheartening? Because the, the news that you get, there's a lot of you know newspapers out there. There's a lot of who and again from that talk he said 99% of the time it probably be inaccurate as as a journalist yourself 
how important is it to make sure you do your fact checking, you do everything correctly by the books and what you put out is legit? I think that is really important. I think hopefully traditional journalism and the sort of um, the sort of outlets I work for, we will always stand the test of time because there is a the utmost diligence um, paid towards what we produce being correct. Um, sometimes the speed of a story breaking can be to its detriment because actually we've become obsessed or the world has become obsessed way beyond journalism has become obsessed with being first to do something and not necessarily it being right. We've seen that with fake news and the proliferation of fake news around the world that actually it's, it's more a case of we're living in this world where if you swamp the media with as much information as possible, it, it drowns out all of maybe the one correct piece of reporting within that. So myself and my colleagues and other, I guess, more fuddy-duddy old-school journalists really try and uphold those principles. Um, that said, I'm only, I'm 34 in April, so I've straddled that change, really. I I'm a multimedia journalist. I work in print. I work in online, radio, television, across all of them. First and foremost, that's the only real way for a, a young journalist to make a solid living. You have to be multi-talented across various different mediums. But also, that's a result of where I came out of. I was a journalist coming into the business 15 or so years ago. So actually, I found that multi-platform journalism is, is, is the best way to do things. Um, and I, when it comes to sort of comparing myself or what we do as a travel journalist to you know, this dreaded world of influencers whose content is basically glossy photos of six packs on beaches, I would hope that over time, people will see through that and realize that actually scrolling through an Instagram feed of just glossy photos of blue skies and yellow sand beaches, it, we're probably not becoming more intelligent or more informed because of that. If that's what people want to consume, fair enough, but I'm a bit of a snob, if I'm honest. I think it's a completely vacuous um, kind of... Um, evolution in the last few years i'm on instagram i feel like i should engage with it slightly but i still don't understand it and i don't really want to the point i was trying to make was what i see now as you were just mentioning it you, you see it all the time it's just full of news and it breaks and there's so much inaccuracy majority of people will will see that and take it firsthand and i think that that talk i was talking to you about the guy was saying 99% of the time, it'll, nothing will come of it, but there'll be that 1% of people will go, hang on a second, that, that is completely false. You know, it's just misinterpreted the entire story. But, and, and there's been films made on it recently where is social media a bad thing? You know, there's, there's the good and the bad, but there has to be some sort, I guess, some sort of policing online because there isn't really at this moment. I think it, has become impossible to police truth there is no way of keeping on top of what is true and what isn't especially in this massive platform which is something like twitter where there are hundreds of millions of people all throwing their opinions and and their own facts into the mix because actually there there has also become this really distorted relationship between truth and opinion as well I do a lot of opinion pieces for the Telegraph and I also do a lot of reporting for the Telegraph and for the BBC. But it's very important for me as a, a traditional journalist to try and make a clear distinction between what I'm saying as my opinion and what I'm then saying as a, a piece of um, reportage for, for these. Um, but what I, th I think I'm really trying to do and striving to do professionally is 
is to try and break away from that really fast-paced nature of reporting and invest my time and energy into into yeah into slow journalism because i think you have at one end of the spectrum got something like twitter got instagram which is just very transient in terms of its up and down nature one minute you're reading something in the next you're not and then you have daily breaking news which is the sort of thing i started working in at the beginning of my career and that was frantic and that was fast paced on a daily basis we're producing news programs um, outputs for radio shows tv and and that would break and, and change minute by minute but over the time i did become slightly disenfranchised with that sort of reporting and now what i want to try and do is i'm working on longer form projects i want to work on books long read articles film series tv programs because maybe it just taps into i think my personality and and these days perhaps um evolving as an individual and maturing a bit i want to take larger ownership over my projects and i want to spend weeks or months working on the same thing and really getting stuck into really meaty proper projects rather than just trying to turn stuff around on a, a daily basis i think one point before i move on is the way things have changed so Again, people used to buy newspapers, but now it's mainly based on clicks, isn't it? So the more it's advertisement, isn't it? So if you can get traffic onto your website by a by a headline, you know, the more more clicks you get, if you get millions of you know millions of views, you can sell it to advertisers. Listen, we get this many people coming on our website. Advertiser will be like, yeah, absolutely. That is the new way of advertising now, actually. You know, the traditional media where it was on television and on radio seems to have sort of gone out the window. You know, nowadays you could just skip past an advert quite easily. So the way people advertise now has changed. So that's obviously changed the way people dish out their news. So who knows, in the next five, 10 years, we, we probably won't have a broadsheet. We probably won't have a tabloid. It'd probably be all online. So I I understand as well that companies will are trying to transition and be ready for that. I know that the industry as a whole gives this a lot of thought and I give this a lot of thought as to what will the mainstream media especially look like in the next 10, 20 years time. If I was to take a punt on what it may look like in two decades, I would probably guess that Monday to Friday newspapers won't exist anymore. Uh, I'd be surprised if if the dailies existed, if I'm totally brutally honest. I think that many times when you pick up a daily newspaper, it's telling you yesterday's news and all of that news you probably read as it was breaking on Twitter the day before. Hopefully what will be in in the interests of journalists like myself but also in terms of uh, the readership and what people want to consume is that perhaps my suspicion would be that the weekend newspapers would become much more significant. Maybe they would go to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there'd be a lot more analysis, a lot more in-depth features, really looking at the big stories and giving them some form of other take in contrast to what you either had on the six o'clock news the night before or Twitter, you know, 48 hours before. I think that's how things are going to change. We're going to have larger weekend newspapers with more more insight, more opinion, and more analysis. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to move on to some of your other successes. I mean, there's so much to go through. I can't go through all of them. Recently, you've just won uh, an award uh, at the Travel Media Award for your show, Earth Cycle. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, I, I saw the, the series, fantastic. And may I say, it was very quintessentially British, and I loved that, you see, because it was, and I, because you watch a lot of travel shows these days, and it's very, very orientated for a certain market. Even though the, the episodes were about 20, I think it was about 24, uh, 24 minutes, I think you filmed it in like a 28-day period or 30-day period, but you did it over four episodes. I love the fact that it sort of slowly built to a crescendo. Um, 
So firstly, how does it feel to to win the award? And what was it like filming a series like that? It was a dream come true, really. I guess um, I grew up watching and really um, consuming myself in in travel documentaries. That was was how I whiled away my teenage years, I guess, watching David Attenborough, Michael Palin, etc. So as a journalist, it's something which I've always strived to do, and I am striving to do more of. I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is really just the beginning, because like I said just before, the idea of making something long form over the course of a year or something like that just allows you to really give it so much more thought and really invest so much more time and energy to creating a proper story as opposed to just turning something around in the space of a day. So that was quite refreshing. It feels amazing. I'm very proud of the fact that we did manage to win this Travel Media Award because it occasionally I think you need validation that what you're creating is actually okay. It's very easy as a creative, as a journalist or an artist or whoever you are, to get a little bit hung up on worrying that the projects you're creating aren't very good. I think there's this potential, there's always this, um, what's the word, uh, this self-loathing that goes on slightly, that you worry that you're not good enough. I'm worried that I'm cheating my way through this industry a little bit. So it's nice to get something like that. Um, to go out and film the show was awesome. We filmed in quite possibly the most perfect place for cycling expedition. So it was a three and a half thousand kilometer journey through Norway and Sweden. Very, very long countries that go all the way from the Arctic Circle all the way down to Central Europe, well, the middle of Northern Europe, essentially. And uh, it's just the perfect place to kick off the series. And now the hope is that we can build some sort of momentum with this award to go off and make another series of that and um, I think with anything I do I just want to try and prove to people what I'm capable of doing professionally which then just allows you to creep up different rungs of the ladder I think it's easy to get sucked into this whole modern existence of thinking that success can just come overnight we watch programs like X factor and goodness knows what and things just happen very very quickly for people but that isn't actually the reality of normal life that is totally fake you really need to work at things hard on a daily basis to just gradually move a millimeter up the ladder every single day and um, I'm hoping earth cycle and this award and and you know the excitement which we can hopefully build around it will lead on to more interesting things and like I said at the beginning this is my dream job. I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing with my life. And the idea of being able to get paid to travel to the other side of the world and ride my bike and meet interesting people. I mean, what else should I be doing with my life, which is any more interesting than that? So I feel really lucky and privileged and proud that that's what I'm doing with myself. You mentioned the, the overnight success so i had a guest on again towards the end of last year uh, she made it into television um she first started off in the newsroom and everything uh, she stated um there's a saying in hollywood don't they where where you when you see start seeing an actor come in and they're here there and everywhere they would have put in eight years of hard work to get to where they are right now um, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So when you see, and it's sustainable, then you see. So you've you've done the work. You've done. You've grafted your way through. Unfortunately, there are television shows like that these days. You know, the reality aspect of life is it is what it is. Again, it's not something that we can't. I'm sure there's going to be more of that. But to be, but when you see those types of people, they'll only come in and then they're gone after like a year or two. So it's not sustainable because they haven't really had you know, the graft in them to continue on a, on a long term. And the other point I wanted to touch on, and you, the show was mainly based on you cycling and obviously you've done other shows as well. So you did another one was where you went from China to London on, on your bike as well. So is this more to do with, is it all to do with the green aspect of travel? I guess it is a little bit. And I think actually my passion for, cycling journeys big cycling adventures firstly it, it appeals to the, the speed at which i want to travel 
I find traveling around by plane, by car, by train to be far too fast. And I find walking to be too slow for me. I find cycling to be my perfect pace. So I can cycle. If I just sit in the saddle for 10, 12 hours a day, I can cycle 100 miles in a day. And that's enough to have this constant stream of interesting things passing by your eyes. And, and personally, that is perfect for me. Um, in terms of the green side of things, yeah, I'm fascinated in how traveling by bike especially allows you to see the world at just this gentle pace that is just so different to everything else that we consume these days. And if I can, it'd be really nice to try and inspire a few people to go off and do their own journeys. I want people to watch my programs or listen to my documentaries and say, firstly, that's an amazing insight into a part of the world I never got to see. But then secondly, maybe be inspired to go and do those things themselves. As a travel writer also, you know, I've spent 10, 15 years traveling around the world at a very voracious pace. And I've taken a lot of flights and I've been on a lot of planes. And, and there is a slight element of guilt that I associate with that. But then at the same time, I do feel like travel is the most incredible way of making us the most liberal and open global society and in the grand scheme of things i think we probably do need to take a few flights to keep that going but yeah if we can be inspired to go on these big adventures on our bicycle i think anyone who's who's watching this you should just go off and do it it's uh it's they, these things should be prescribed rather than giving people antidepressants or counseling Give them a bicycle and say, go off and do a 1,000 mile bike ride. Spend a few weeks on the road, on your own, chatting to people. And I think you'll only come out of it feeling and thinking fitter. And like I said before, it just feels like an immense privilege that this is what I get to do for my job. I get to go away and come back feeling fitter and healthier. So I'm, I'm addicted to it. One of the things I've realized during our lockdown is when this all when this is all over it's going to go back it, it is going to happen it's going to go back to this fast-paced lifestyle that we've had people will realize oh my god i haven't got much time left it, anything could happen next time whether people will have that time that, that's another question you know if it's quick for people to go on a plane fly out to even even domestically by the way you know uh, and i think in fact i think i've read somewhere that you're not a big fan of domestic flights within the uk people aren't gonna i don't know people probably look at it and go this has been a wake-up call for me i need to live my life as fast as possible because anything can happen tomorrow unfortunately that philosophy is probably going to proliferate when we do come out of this i think there's gonna be this massive renaissance for international travel i think we it's been taken away from us for maybe by the time we get to the end of this it may be three years taken out of our lives in terms of life returning to some normality because even when everyone's vaccinated in the uk we're going to be one of the few first nations in the world the developing world Africa, Asia, Latin America, they might still be getting their vaccines in two or three years' time. So in terms of where we can go and what we can do is, is going to slowly become available. And I think there's going to be this huge pent-up passion and desire to go to these places. And yeah, I, I am slightly concerned that all of a sudden we're going to see tens of thousands more planes in the sky. But then at the same time, when I weigh up all of the big evils in the world and the big evils in our modern existence i think that when you weigh these things up you know more people are going to travel a long time before fewer people travel i think a few privileged um you know a few privileged british people telling people to stop flying is ridiculous because you know this is the lifestyle we've been we've been living for 50 60 70 years to all of a sudden let the developing world develop at the fast pace that they have been or not let them but that's what they've been doing and then say to them oh well no you shouldn't be doing this now you shouldn't be eating all the hamburgers we've been selling you for the last 50 years you shouldn't be going on all these plane rides we've been 
encouraging you to do because there's this thing called climate change. That's just not going to happen. If we like it or not, more people are going to travel before not. So I, I, what I think is we have this responsibility as perhaps travel writers, especially, is to encourage people to go to parts of the world which they hadn't previously thought about. So one of the real buzzwords in travel these days is over tourism. We're really interested in how some cities and some beaches and some countries become swamped with tourists, but then actually no one goes to other places. So I think if we have any form of responsibility working forward, will be to move great populations of tourists to different places and just try and dissipate that um those crowds a little bit if there is one way we can manage this it's by encouraging people to go on big cycling journeys in the arctic or go and camp in the desert or whatever i, I don't think we should all be swamping on the same places because that that's where all our, our major problems come from i don't know whether it's to do with you know making people guilty or not but it is what it is. So if you have to go to, you know, Cambodia, for example, you have to take a flight. And it, it is, and I understand there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, your carbon footprint and whatnot is through the roof, you know, that you're the cause for the planet. See, the thing is, I, I think about this a lot. And the, the problem is, is that, like I said, there are lots of very big problems in the world. And I think the majority of them stem from the fact that from what I've seen, I've been to over a hundred countries. I've been to some of, you know, I've been to a lot of places. Our main problems stem from gross op overpopulation. We already have 7 billion people. And in 20, 30 years time, they think we're going to have um, another 2 billion. So by the time, you know, I have children, potentially in 20 years time, we're going to have 9 billion people on the planet. I think it's just complete um i just think it's it's i don't know what the word is i think it's um over ambitious to think that everyone's just going to stop traveling that's not going to happen and i also think in this really unfair global society that we live in in which we have very very rich people and very very real people uh, um poor people the one way we can really try and even up the playing field is through tourism is through wealthy people going to poor places that is a business model which will always hopefully inject outside money into economies that really, really need it. And I think that's what we should be trying to encourage in the, in the short term. I think from my perspective, although I do understand the threats of climate change, it is a snowball way out of my control. And what I do think we can do is just try and encourage people to go to places and spend their money wisely and hopefully make the world a, a fairer and more prosperous place because of it, I think. You know what, you made one point there. I was fortunate enough, I did a piece last year when I went to Turkey and they hadn't seen tourists six seven months it was when i went and their lives had been decimated uh, they rely on tour tourists to make a living and we're very fortunate in this country that you know and other other european countries or western western countries that you know that there had been a furlough scheme but those countries there isn't anything like that you see so tourism is what makes a country and the economy so some countries the economies are made up like 40 percent 50 percent 60 percent uh, you know, I think about those types of people um, when I travel. The thing is, is that some people say, and generally these are quite privileged Western people say, oh, we should just stop all travel together, or all together. There should be no international travel. We should stop all flights. I just think that is just, um, just so naive. That's never going to happen. If you just stopped all international tourism and all international travel, the level of societal and cultural you know implosion would just be unthinkable yeah it's like some some uh, international economies have economies which depend upon tourism by 30 or 40 percent you can't just take that away over the course of the next you know five or ten years you instead we have to try and find Ways which are lesser evils. If we like it or not, there is always going to be some form of balance. 
it's not a perfect world. It's not going to be that way. And actually, the more, I don't know, the more you concentrate on one issue, you take away from another. So it's just important to try and find a, a balance. And that's why responsible tourism is so important. And pushing that message of responsible tourism is so important because we need to think about how our actions are impacting the rest of the world. One of the things you do actually is public speaking. Is that one thing that you try and get across to people? I do a lot of public speaking things. I talk at festivals and um, schools and universities and all sorts of things. Um, I talk about my adventures around the world and the things I've seen firsthand. And yeah, I, I always try and paint a picture of this global society. For every middle-class family living in the home counties, recycling all of their baked bean cans there's a huge landfill on the other side of the world where it's just full of you know human waste it's all it's all very very easy to just see things through your own spectrum and your own perspective in which you just see it it's just so blinkered but actually travel just allows us to see all these things firsthand so that's what i try and get across to especially to the teenagers i speak to that actually the problems we have in the world are huge global problems and they can't just be fixed by you know, recycling at home. It, it ties into a much bigger problem that we have. How, how do you find the public speaking? Uh, is it something that you enjoy doing? Because obviously you've done quite a lot. Yeah, I love it. Um, again, um, it is making a, a living for myself as a, as a journalist, really. If I just did one discipline i probably wouldn't make ends meet but actually by doing lots of different things and keeping my irons in different fires that's the way i do things and although i get a little bit nervous i don't mind standing up in front of a thousand people and talking i spent a lot of time acting when i was a teenager my degree was in theater um or one element of it was in theater so i i, I like that i'm a bit of a show-off when it comes to um talking about myself on stage i guess um and it is nice to just interact with people and 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 I, I i would go and see these i would i would like to go and see people talk about their adventures and their travels i think like i said at the beginning I, i'm much more interested in seeing and speaking to people who've had real life experiences i find that really really um important in my life that's probably why i don't dislike something like Instagram so much because I just find it to just be so hollow a photo and a few lines about I don't know Santorini or goodness knows what I mean there's so much more to it to that and I I, I worry that we're becoming a more of a, an unintelligent human race because of it one aspect of, for example, Instagram is uh, there's a lot of, uh, I've spoken about this all last year, actually, with a lot of guests. There's, there was going to be content creators and there's going to be storytellers. Now, I like to think of myself as a storyteller. So if I put out a post, I'll I'll try and do like a, a, a vision, a, a storyboard of my time uh, in a place. But your majority of it, it is ruining the way we travel. Um, do you get what I'm saying? Where people want to go to a place, let's say Machu Picchu, and just take a selfie. And mm. unfortunately, that is the way it is. You, like yourself, you're not going to be a big fan of it, but there's going to be others. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, it is a moneymaker. You know, these influencers, as they call them, you know, they can make money. They make a living out of it. And they're probably making more money than you know a pulitzer or national geographic photographer oh yeah definitely yeah i don't i don't um blame any of the individuals if i could travel around the world and take a few photos and get paid a thousand pound a post then it would be a very tempting existence but then at the same time i don't really want to just spend my one precious life favoring glossy photos and as much money as i can make i want to get to the end of each day and think that i've done something that i believed in and i i was genuinely interested in that subject and i'm a tiny bit more informed or more intelligent at the end of each day than i was at the beginning i do worry that some of the content on instagram is just utter trash i i had a bit of a at christmas i had a month off it um social media totally which was really good because it just gives you a whole lot more perspective on um how ridiculous 
social media really is. I feel like um, I have to be on there because I have to promote myself and my work. That's important to me because I'm ambitious and I want to make something of my life. But then at the same time, I think it's important to have discipline and just get off it. Why am I scrolling through this rubbish? Um, I, you know, I've made a bit of a habit now. I don't really follow anyone on social media, which is probably comes across as a little bit arrogant, but I just don't, I'm, I, I'm far too easily distracted and I, I don't want to be looking at stupid posts when I could be doing something creative. And by the way, it goes back to that sustainability. So how long can you take a picture of yourself? And admit? So at the end of the day, there's going to be a shelf life, isn't there? You know, so you'd have to find something else to do. So uh, it's interesting. It will be quite fascinating to see what happens in, in the coming years. You've done a lot of interviews. Mm. Now, is there, is there anyone that sticks in your mind that you've interviewed that you really enjoyed? And, you know, they were exactly what you saw on, on TV or, you know, in the papers? I would say the first thing that you, you learn as a journalist and especially as a travel writer is that every single person in the world, if you invest some time and energy into those people, honestly, every single person has an interesting story to tell. But the problem is they just don't have the platform to, to share that with the world. If you sit, I honestly say, if you just knocked on a random door on the planet and you had a bottle of wine and said, hi, can I come and have a chat with you for a couple of hours? You would uncover something incredibly interesting about their life, how they grew up, their ambitions for the future, whatever that may be. So as a journalist, I don't think we'll ever run out of content because everyone's interesting. Yeah, I've in I've interviewed a lot of interesting people in my time as a journalist, but I would say the one that the, the one that's probably most famous was Roger Federer. And that was a year ago, actually. I was based out in Cape Town working down there for the BBC. And he was in town doing a uh, doing an exhibition match with um, Rafa Nadal. And I put in a bid. That's what we call it in journalism. You put in a bid with the PR to say, can I have a, a um, an interview with him? And I managed to secure th a 30-minute sit-down with Roger Federer. And honestly, he is exactly the same as he comes across in every interview and documentary I've ever seen. He is the most genuine, kindest man. He was, he must have been absolutely exhausted when I spoke to him. He organized this huge event in Cape Town in which he was in this exhibition match with Rafa. And um, he was up until three or four o'clock the next morning. And I had an interview with him at nine o'clock the next morning. He'd played tennis in front of 100,000 people. He'd flown from the other side of the world to do it. He turned up in this hotel where I was uh, waiting for him. He was five minutes late. He was still putting, putting on his shirt. And he was so unbelievably um, apologetic for running late. And we sat and chatted for yeah, half an hour about his life and what he's done. And it was just really after about the first couple of minutes when I sat thinking to myself, right, I'm sat here with the world's best ever tennis player. This is quite strange. But then it was just like chatting to a to an old friend. And um, as a journalist, those are the real kind of interviews you want to uncover because we're all interested in that humanity, aren't we? We're all interested in that's probably why fly on the wall documentaries are so interesting because you get to see someone in their in their most innocent and uh yeah I, i'm probably most proud of that interview roger federer is an absolute sporting legend but he's he's also an incredibly nice man it was a, a real privilege to get to meet him he actually made a good point there about when you talk to someone for a sustained period of time you get to sort of uncover what they're what they're really like as well and uh, for example like doing this talk uh, doing you know talks with other people that i've done and it's great that you can talk to someone uh, and then come out of it thinking to yourself, wow, you know, I could chat to him all day, all night. And that's always a good sign. I, I always say, you know, um, it's a testament to whoever you're talking to and, you know, it makes it a bit more easy for yourself, doesn't it? When it, when it comes to doing a job, because then when the questions come, it's very natural. For young people ever thinking about potential jobs, that's what, that's why journalism is just so infinitely interesting you're you're only really it's an extension of you anyway most people are incredibly curious about the world interested in other people getting getting paid to sit 
there and talk to someone about their life is just an extension of what I would be doing anyway. And it, it just does feel just, I just feel very lucky that that's what I get to do. Um, there is, there hasn't been much luck involved. It's been a huge amount of hard work, but um, the, the, the most popular format is just two people talking. You can jazz things up, but it's still the same as it was a hundred years. The most popular radio formats are just two people chatting and that is relaxing and it's interesting. And that's why podcasts are so popular these days because that's all it is really. When you get time to relax, I can see there's a cricket bat behind you and stuff. Uh, apart from your cycling, what else do you do to sort of get away from it all? I do a lot of exercise. I'm pretty highly strung. I, I struggle to sleep. I really struggle to, to switch off. I'm always buzzing with ideas. That can be quite infuriating for my girlfriend and my family uh, because um, that can be quite difficult to be living with someone like that. Um, so this time has been quite strange, really, because I've been, it's been very hard for me to just try and find some headspace. Um, I hate winter. I really, really dislike winter. I hate the darkness. I hate the cold. Same don't here. like being <laughs> don't like being inside i'm just not cut out for it at all so under normal circumstances i live in the southern hemisphere during winter but this is my first winter in the uk since well for my whole adult life basically um so in the normal summer i love cricket cricket is probably the one thing which makes me calm down it makes me just feel like i'm playing cricket at any one time normally i've got ideas buzzing around my head because i'm in different places around the world and i'm thinking about my next projects or something going to print or an idea of some degree but there is something so mindful about being on a cricket pitch or standing there waiting for someone to bowl you a cricket ball that really you have to just be totally zoned on that moment. So I'm obsessed by cricket. I've been lucky through my work. I've, I've played and reported on cricket all over the planet in, in really weird places. I was playing cricket in St. Helena last year. Um, I played cricket for Guatemala against El Salvador. I scored a half century for Guatemala. That was quite an interesting story for the BBC. I've played cricket in Chile. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, all over the planet. I'm, I just love the sport. Well, did you try and become a pro? No. So I, the, the, the thing uh, about cricket is I love it, but I'm not particularly good. I hold my own as a very average village cricketer. Um, I love everything about it. I love the, the pitches. I love the, you know, the sounds, the smells of it. But uh, unfortunately, I wasn't ever really blessed with raw talent. Um, in anything, if I'm honest, I was, I was never really particularly talented at anything growing up. But I do believe strongly in just working hard, and actually, that will that that will sort of do much better than talent any day. So, cricket, I'm lucky if I score maybe one or two half centuries in a season. But I just love the atmosphere. I like being out there and then having a few beers with my friends afterwards. There's there's nothing nothing better. I'd rather do with my summer evenings, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame. Obviously, last year the the, the games were all cl played behind closed doors. And uh, which match was? I think it was uh, the match against. Must have been in no, Pakistan. I think it was England versus Pakistan. And Chris Rokes hits the winning runs. You know, the year mm -hmm. before we had uh, Ben Stokes hitting the winning run. Just imagine Ben Stokes hitting the hitting the winning runs against Australia to get you know to win the match. And there was no crowd there. I mean, one of the other highlights of my career actually was I was in I was reporting for the BBC in Cape Town five years ago when uh, Ben Stokes scored that 250. Uh, it was just smashing it around the ground. And then I remember it was a re really surreal moment because he just scored one of the most sort of seminal double centuries in the history of cricket. And then he um, walked, walked through past, past me and a few other journalists dripping with sweat in the, into the press office and just sat down in front of us and we chatted to him for half an hour about the experience and that is just such an amazing raw moment as a journalist to try and capture that moment there and then such an such an incredible experience to see that sort of talent at your fingertips it's um uh, yeah it's pretty cool because you mentioned you you've got your you've got a girlfriend you're a globetrotter how have you managed to sort of 
find a relationship where your partner's you know very supportive in what you do because i assume you're away a lot of the time uh does she go with you a lot of the time your show itself your shows you've done you know you are on your own aren't you you're camping and you know i mean i guess she's been very supportive of your of your career there's a balance to be struck i understand now that i'm in my early to mid 30s if i do want to have any hope of having a family and having a, a life partner, then I can't really just go away and just for a year on end and sort of go and do stupid stuff. But I've done all that in my 20s. So, but now this is what I do and, and this is who I am. If I'm not cut out to sit behind a, a desk, um, that's just not the life I want to live. And I think she appreciates that it's healthy for us to spend some time apart from each other um so when you're in the southern hemisphere during the winter does, does she go with you yeah all oh, right yeah, okay. yeah yeah so we go and base ourselves down in cape town um that's what we did for the last couple of years and we'll probably do it again the next one because i can base myself in sub-saharan africa and, and use that as an opportunity to go up and cover stories in, down there um but then at the same time you know if i get a uh, an opportunity for a two or three week expedition somewhere that's my life and and um i would never for the time being want to turn those opportunities down because i've spent my whole career trying to get those opportunities um but then at the same time i wouldn't probably go away on a three-week expedition come back for a day and then go away on a four-week expedition there has to be some sort of balance struck i do all i do also have to recognize that um uh, you know she's my girlfriend and and she has um she it's has her own, her own hopes, well, yeah. she has her own life and hopes and ambitions herself so i can't totally hijack that also with my life um it's just about creating a balance really um and you know we discuss things and talk about things but actually the more i move forward what i want to do is i want to work on fewer longer form projects rather than many shorter projects so whereas in the past before i met her maybe i was going away on 30 or 40 trips a year and i was doing a week away back in the uk for a couple of days then away for two weeks and because i didn't really have that base because i I, i'd never had a proper serious relationship but now what i want to do is i want to go away and maybe for two months and make a program and then come back for seven or eight months and then go away for six weeks and then come back for three months I feel like that's much more sustainable in terms of having a family in terms of having a partner because you're managing all those emotions every time you go away it's sad and everyone's unhappy and it takes that transition a while it's easier for people to get used to one or the other so that's why I want to do sort of bigger trips but fewer of them relationships within I've met a lot of bloggers you know I'm a blogger myself you know we we struggle to sort of create a relationship because our mindset is always on the, the next journey the next chapter of what we're going to do and potentially you know, like myself neglect the relationship side of it mm. a lot of a lot of travelers a lot of bloggers will say well if that's the way it is that is the way it is you know if they can't incorporate into your life then it's not going to work and you're right in what you're saying as well that they've also got a life to also think about and it's not fair on them so it's you're right there has to be a balanced approach yeah, I, re- I recognize that i can probably be a bit of a nightmare to work to um to live with um but then at the same time because of this career in this life we get really amazing opportunities that we would never get if if i wasn't doing this so it's just a case of kind of weighing weighing things up really i, I also appreciate that the things i go off and do it's not like i'm going for a three-week conference in new york and i'm just walking to and from a hotel some of the stuff i do has a real dangerous implication to it and actually i really crave those experiences i want to go to dodgy borders i want to go to the middles of oceans i want to go to the tops of mountains but all of those things are inherently very very dangerous so i can definitely sympathize with the people that we team up with in life we're putting them through hell when we go away for two weeks to go and make a program or whatever 
that there is a huge amount of worry associated with that. Um, just it's all just about creating something that works for you as individuals over time, and we'll just gradually find that over time. I think. Any new developments that we can look forward to? Any other aspirations that you want to accomplish? I guess so. I think um, it's strange in terms of life and in terms of careers and things. It's like a dartboard that's constantly moving away from you, and you're just throwing it. And you think to yourself, if someone would have said to me five or ten years, someone would have said to me ten years ago, you'll be writing for big newspapers and making so and so. I would have snapped their hand off and said, I want to do that forever. But now I've got to this point. There are slight. I'm always thinking about how I can improve. Really, I, I think that's probably just what makes us human constantly striving for more it's an addiction it's a problem because you never really switch off but um before christmas i cycled the length of britain um for the telegraph which became a project britain by bike and i'm hoping to maybe turn that into a book um I'm talking to some publishers and some agents at the moment about that that's really my next big ambition just to make more telly that's something i've always strived to do i'm, I'm eager to try and make more television and I'm eager to just connect with people. It's like you know when you approached me about doing this. So I, I say yes to pretty much everything. I, I um, I'm always open for for chatting and networking. I think that's the only way we can really move forward in life. Um, so yeah, just more of the same, really, and just hopefully we'll get out of this soon and and see more of the world because it's just such a, an incredibly exciting place. One more question, actually, before I let you go. Any advice? Any advice to people listening? How can you make make it into the world of travel? How can you make it into the world of journalism, television? If you were to give someone advice, what would it be? My advice would be to start from the bottom. And I understand that that's not what people want to hear. Start off with outlets which are available to you in your immediate vicinity. So, for example, when I was 21... I wanted to go in, you know, I can't just ring up the BBC and say, I'm 21, I'm really ambitious. Can I present the six o'clock news? They'll just laugh you off the phone. But what you can say is turn up at, or ring up your local BBC station or your local newspaper and say, can I submit? Is there anything I can write for you? Is there any help you need? Um, can I write a 200 word column about being a teenager in Oxfordshire? Or I think I've got this really interesting idea about, I don't know, walking the length of oxfordshire's canals or whatever it might be always try and make sure that you are specifically intertwined with the stories you want to tell don't just give your ideas away because people will inevitably steal them make sure that you are unique as the storyteller in whatever story that may be and that's something which we call access so prove to people in the industry that you have a story that only you can do so i don't know my granny is a hundred and she's got this amazing story to tell about the second world war that's you you know you can get that out of her more than someone else can so always try and make sure you're writing yourself into your into your ideas more than anything so that people can't steal them nowadays it's a lot easier to start your own channel on youtube you know um and have a success success you know you can make money off it no one's telling you you can't you know you don't need these days i guess a main outlet you can go out there and do it yourself mm. and in a way that can you can be quite successful at it you know and i think i, I had a youtuber on uh, back in the summer last year and he doesn't want to work for because he gets millions of views on his on his channel you know one 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 documentary puts out He's, he said, well, why do I need them? You know, so you can, there's, there's always ways to do it. And um, it's harder. Of course it is, you know, and it's a very slow burn as well. You know, it takes time to build. I guess if you're with a network or if you're with a, a big company, it's slightly more, well, I say it's slightly more, it's going to be hard still, but you know, you can get progression. If, if you have that aspiration, get there. If you believe in yourself and it's all about mindset at the end of the day, if you don't have the mindset, then it's not going to happen wherever you are, if it's the BBC, if it's whoever. Do you get what I'm saying? It's all about hard work. I mean, I, 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 I put in a real shift. I graft every single morning from 8 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night because I love what I do. I'm obsessed with it. I want to find interesting stories. I want to go to interesting places. 
Um, so I don't think if you don't like the hard work side of it, and it's probably not for you, um, basically. Um, and also the kind of idea of success is, which I always battle with, is is what is it? What's the what am I ultimately aiming for? People talk about trying to get there, but I don't even know where there is. <laughs> I um, I know that five years ago this would have been there, but now I'm here. It's I'm not satisfied, and I want to be somewhere else. And that's just a an affliction, really. That's just something which we're always just going to have to deal with until maybe you reach your 60s or 70s and you say, I've done my bit and now I'm going to chill out. We'll see. I have absolutely no idea. As you just said there, but where is there? You probably get to that place and you're probably not going to be happy. So, But then that is the, the drive within you. You know, you've got that fire in your belly to become more successful than what you mm. are. And then if, I guess if you're complacent and if you think, you know, you've done it all, believe me something you know someone else will come take your position that's what happens you see so yeah just um it's it's about striking a balance between hum- being humble and and being ambitious you don't want that to spill over so that you you're pushy and you're arrogant but then at the same time you're the one living your life i'm seeing my life through these two eyes and i have a responsibility to myself to try and have the best crack at it basically because in you know 50 100 years i'm going to be dead no one's going to even know i ever existed so if i'm not going to give it a good crack what's the point and that's all any of us are really going for just find your voice believe in what you do and some people are going to think you're rubbish you know so what just just move on to the next thing and try and have as much fun as possible while you're doing it Listen, Simon, we can talk all day, all night. Um, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And I'll speak to you very soon. Good luck. Thank you. You can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.